Our sponsor today is um, my company, LawDroid. Uh, LawDroid is a legal AI company dedicated to creating useful chatbots for lawyers and legal companies. You can check us out at LawDroid.com. Uh, my name is Tom Martin. I'll be your host today. Our show today is A Force of Nature for Using Tech to Evolve the Law with, with Mary Jutton. Mary, in my, in my opinion, is a force of nature for evolving the law. Uh, she is the founder and CEO of Tracklight. It's the only self-guided software platform that creates your custom intellectual property strategy and assesses business risk. Uh, she's dedicated her career to helping businesses achieve and protect their success, uh, specializing in transition or startup phases and helping companies create sustainable financial growth. In 2015, Mary co-founded Evolve the Law to accelerate the adoption of technology within the legal industry. She's also a Legal Shield Access Advocate of Counsel with Nimbus Legal. And she has a Bachelor's of Commerce from McGill and a Juris Doctorate from Arizona State, um, as well as many US and Canadian public accountant certifications. Uh, she's also an international writer, speaker, and mentor, uh, sat on the Group Legal Services Association ABA board. She previously represented entrepreneurs on the board of crowdfunding investment regulatory advocates and the Licensing Executive Society Emerging Enterprises Committee. Uh, Mary is the author of two books, Small Law Firm KPIs, Measure Your Way to Success, and The Business of Legal, The Data-Driven Law Practice. Well, <laughs> Mary, <laughs> it's a pleasure to have you on the show. How are you doing today? I am doing great. And, and thank you, Tom, for having me on the show. And I wanted to mention that your company, LawDroid, has been very supportive of the Group Legal Services Association. And I understand when the new website launches that eventually there's going to be a LawDroid bot on it. So I'm very excited about that and very grateful that you're involved with the GLSA. Oh, well, thank you. And I'm really looking forward to, forward to it as well. Um, I think that there's uh, great opportunities there. And I, and I meant it when I said it. Um, I, I You are a force of nature, and you, I know you do a ton of traveling. Where are you today? Today, I am sitting in Phoenix, Arizona. I uh, We have a house here, which uh, my son's a college student here in Arizona. So he takes care of the house when I'm traveling and staying in different places. And then we also have... Uh, more of a cabin and it's up mm -hmm. on a lake by Mount Baker up closer to you Tom it's just about an hour south of Vancouver uh, so it's in uh, the big metropolis of Maple Falls Washington population <laughs> 300 <laughs> wow <laughs> yep I bet everybody knows everybody there <laughs> pretty much <laughs> so speaking of Vancouver where did you grow up so I spent before I moved to the US, which was in 2005, I spent about 15 years in Vancouver. I lived on Bowen Island, but I grew up in Montreal. And uh, okay. I, I did speak French at one point, and now it's limited to kind of a few, a few not for PG words and uh, a few expressions since I've spent a lot of time in the last couple of years in Mexico City. So I've had to forget my French to try to learn Spanish. So you grew up in Montreal? Yes. Were your parents lawyers or, or CPAs? Did they have no. that kind of background? No, no. So my uh, my mom, who passed away um, quite a while ago, she um, she was uh, she went to secretarial school because that's what you did back in the day. And mm -hmm. uh, she was the one who always pushed me. She was like, you can do anything you want. You can be anything you want to be. And she really wanted me to be a doctor. And I thought I would be this pediatrician. Um, and my dad is a um, he's a, an engineering type, but he's not an engineer. He's retired now, but he's one of those people that work for the same company for 40 years. So he was a project director for CAE Electronics and flew around the world implementing really large projects. Um, he didn't spend much time overseas, but it is kind of funny that my husband now works in the mining industry and is a project director. So that's kind of weird. But no, there was, there's no other that I know of. There's no other lawyers or accountants in either of my family. And so I became an accountant because I was like, I don't like blood. Um, so <laughs> I, 
like, I'm good at math. Uh, I don't like yeah. blood. And I took an accounting class and, and it wasn't bad. And I sat beside two guys who's, um, who's both of whom their dads were partners at local uh, CA firms in Montreal. So I went out and articled for a summer and they asked me back and I worked there. And then I went out to Vancouver because I was sick of the whole political scene in, in Quebec and all the infighting. Um, mm. So I Picked up and moved out there and worked for Pricewaterhouse. I worked for Ernst & Young and then I worked for Pricewaterhouse as a consultant. And then I started working at companies rather than in practice. So your first career was, was in accounting? Yeah. So first I was one of those, everyone hates the auditors coming in. I was one of those um, financial auditors that came in. And uh, it was actually like a really cool uh, prep for for working in business and because you worked in teams and and it was very structured and so you learned you learned a lot about kind of the backbone of how businesses work and um, the fact is that it really doesn't matter what the business actually makes you learn what they make but the structure and the flow and the processes are all the same and I use a lot of what I what I learned in literally the 80s um when i wrote that kpi the first kpi book and even the second book it's it's stuff that i learned that's a lot of years ago i'm not even gonna say how many um, <laughs> me too <laughs> so yeah so then i moved out to vancouver and i actually worked at a very large law firm in canada for a bit uh running their finance and it and that was faskin it was then called faskin martineau i think they rebranded to just faskin so it sounds like, you know, the, the experience with, um, you know, working for very large companies like Faskin and Ernst & Young, it just gave a different type of mindset. Would you say that's that's fair? Definitely. And and another company that I worked at when I was in Vancouver was AMAC Engineering. And I ran their learning and development, which was not internal. It was actually like an add-on um, and it was back in the early 2000s, and we had this um, proprietary learning management system that helped the process operators uh, on, you know, the focus was oil and gas and forestry. And so it was really cool. And that's where I got into intellectual property and all of that stuff. But before that, I was um, VP finance at Vancouver Community College, where I learned a lot about um, you know, unions. And uh, I was responsible for HR, IT, IT during the infamous year 2000. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Be careful about yes. that clock. Yep. Yeah, just a big bust. Um, and then, uh, so that was really cool because I was very young and I became a vice president. I learned about, you know, working with Robert's rules for boards. And I, I worked a lot with the government, uh, on funding issues because the college at that time was 1994 and they basically were one step away from receivership. So that was a really cool job. And I had my two kids um, when I worked at the college. And then I moved into the private sector where I worked for AMAC and, uh, and then for Faskin. And then I moved to the US and worked for AMAC again, but in a different division uh, was infrastructure, which AMAC doesn't exist anymore. It got swallowed up in a bunch of mergers. <laughs> so. I kind of have a similar path in that from the surface, there's a lot of different types of, of, of work. It might seem like it, it's not related, but it sounds to me like the through line, like the, the common theme seems to me to be one where you're learning throughout that portion of your career about the different aspects of how business really works and with some really great companies that gives you uh, the experience to be able to, to synthesize that into a way to educate lawyers about how to how to actually conduct business well. Definitely. And and I think 
you know, when you do work outside the law first, I think it's, or any profession, like when I left the accounting profession in the sense that I, I became a, uh, it's equivalent of going in-house as an attorney, that's right. when I realized, okay, we, we have all these structures and processes that we're, that I used to review from the outside. Now I actually have to worry about meeting my budget and doing all these things inside the business. But I found that I could take from, you know, sort of take from both. And when I went to law school, I, I spent a lot of time there. Um, that was in 2008 here in Arizona. And I was like, I am going to be a white collar crime prosecutor. I'm just not even going to do anything <laughs> to do with business. Like, forget it. And I spent my entire, I, I crammed law school into two and a half years. So I spent my wow. entire two and a half years in a process of elimination going, all right, so I'm not going to be this white collar cr crime prosecutor because I hated criminal law, um, loved my prof, but hated the subject. I was like, oh, okay, I don't want to do this. And I did a bunch of different things like moot court and this and that. And, and uh, through the whole thing, I ended up back, my favorite class was on IP. And my, I did this clinic where we dealt with real life clients. So I, I did three years as um, Pricewaterhouse. Uh, it wasn't PwC back then, but Pricewaterhouse uh, consultant where we did process re-engineering and we did studies and feasibility. So when I went into law school, I ended up doing this technology clinic where we were like consultants slash attorneys. Uh, it was a joint MBA uh, law class. And, and I realized, okay, I don't like drafting all these agreements, but I do like trying to help these clients. And that's where I got the idea to create software to replace the, you know, the triage questions that you have to ask people. And I ended up right back into business, but I ended up starting my own company instead of, um, instead of practicing law. Okay. So, so you initially went to law school because you didn't want to do business anymore, <laughs> <laughs> but then through the process, you know, because your strengths and your experience and understanding of it was based in that it kind of, you overlaid that past experience upon doing it better, right? Doing it like doing the practice of law better or making it more efficient. Yeah. I wish I could say that it was like this big plan, but it wasn't because in the middle, uh, like I'm looking around, I'm sitting in my office somewhere up here is like an environmental law certificate because I, I was part of the, the center for um, law science and innovation. And so I had this environmental law because that was in the middle. I was like, Oh, that's what I'll do. I'll be an environmental lawyer. Uh, my husband works in the mining industry and I thought, okay, I could just go wherever he is and be the environmental person. And then I thought, oh, that would probably just create a lot of conflict um, between <laughs> he's trying to build things. And I'd right. be like, oh, no, you can't do that. You so, um, plus, I found it was a little, a little dry, the environmental law thing. And so I abandoned that. And then I came up with the idea to start my own company. And basically told my husband, I'm not, I'm not, um, I'm not sitting for the Arizona bar. I'm not, uh, not going to practice law. And he was like, oh, okay. So then I created Tracklight. And then when I was trying to sell Tracklight to attorneys, initially we sold, um, we sold the, the platform to small businesses. But when we started working with attorneys, that's when I started trying to explain to them, okay, this can help you. This can save you on client acquisition costs. Um, and nobody knew what I was talking about. Um, right, it was a different language for them, right? Yeah, so I was like, oh, wait a second. Lawyers aren't like accountants. They don't necessarily know how to run a business. But the big difference between lawyers and doctors um, this is something that has come to me very recently is that doctors will be like, I, I don't know anything about this technology. So I'm just going to hire somebody to, to deal with it for me. Lawyers, for whatever reason. And now that I, I, I took the Washington, I sat in Washington for the UBE in um, February. So now I can say like, as a lawyer where I couldn't say that before. So as a lawyer, I can see that many of my fellow lawyers will be like, oh, oh, 
I'm just going to do that myself. That's why you have a lot of lawyers now saying, hey, lawyers must code. It's like, that's ridiculous. That's like saying, you know, all old people should knit. Like, no, you don't have to code. If, if you want to use technology, you don't have to learn how to code to use it. So I think we've, anyways, I'm off on a tangent, sorry. <laughs> so, no worries. So when was, when was TrackLide? When did you start that? So I came up with the idea sitting in um, sitting in a class in January of 2010. Oh my goodness, that's a long time ago. So I came up with the idea because we had to do an intellectual property audit. That was an assignment to come up with these audit questions. And I, I know audit questionnaires from being a financial uh, auditor. So I was like, well, there must be something out on the internet that could help me <laughs> do right. this assignment because I'm really busy with all my law school classes. And I started looking and there wasn't anything. And then I, I made the off the cuff remark in class to one of my classmates. And I said, you know, I hate this. It's ridiculous that it's not here. It'd be so simple. Somebody could just go through this little audit and then they would know what they have to protect. And uh, he was like, yeah, you should do that. And I said, well, I don't, I don't know anything about software development other than like, I, I, I understand the process because I'd, I'd run this division that made software, but I don't actually know how to code. So, uh, and, and, and then did I that, put all that. Did ultimately that present a problem to being able to yes, do it? it it did. Um, so initially I was like, okay, I'm going to get together some people that know how to do this. Um, and so I got together sort of a first group, which, so first I graduated law school and then I started working for another local startup that did electronic, uh, online electronics recycling. And it was here in, in Phoenix. And, uh, so I was like the COO, which was a nice fancy title. Cause there was like six of us. And it was great, though, because I got into the startup scene and that started in um, the fall of 2010. I finished, his law, finished law school, graduated. Then in a 2011, I started trying to work on Tracklight on the side. And I went through kind of two different people in terms of or two different options in terms of people to code stuff. And then fast forward, I'm in the summer of 2012. And I finally find somebody who can sort of code a beta version of it. And we launched the first version of it in the fall of 2012. So. Wow. Yeah. So now six years ago. <laughs> so. And over those six years, I mean, the past six years have been huge, right? In terms of the changing landscape of legal tech. Yes. I, I was doing something. I'm speaking in. A, I'm, I'm, actually doing another degree, um, which my family all rolled their eyes at. But it's a master of LLM here yeah. at Arizona State. But I'm doing it in kind of global legal studies and access to justice, and uh, you know, looking at access to justice through technology. So I've created a class that I just got approved last week to to teach there, and I was looking um, at a something that came out of the, uh, I think it was the legal services, the LSC, um, in terms of the the number of legal startups that changed between, on AngelList between like 2012 and just the explosion of these companies trying to address uh, some of the problems through technology. But when I started tech, uh, track light, it was for, I didn't envision it as legal technology. I thought it was technology for the end users being small companies, but it's brutal to start, uh, to sell to small companies. So in 2015, we shifted and we're selling to technology tech savvy attorneys. Actually that started in sort of 2017. Um, we sold to a lot of attorneys who will, were not tech savvy and um, we shifted away from that. And we've been working on large pilots. We have a pilot that's been going with paychecks um, because our software 
the end user gets like a risk chart and a grade and it's really fun for them or can be fun for them. But for the actual company that's paying for them to use it, they get information that is great data in terms of, um, you know, it's basically lead generation. So we're working on a project with Paychex and one that I can't tell you who, but Mm -hmm. it's coming soon and it's a very large, it's a, it's a well-known name. So it's exciting, but it's been three years in the making and four years with Paychex. Um, So these things take forever. (laughs) Yeah, no, I, I totally, believe you um so it's but it sounds like and correct me if i'm wrong that like it's gotten a little bit easier over the passing years because things have definitely seemed to tick up in terms of uh you know lawyers interest in in using these types of solutions do you agree i i agree and the main thing that is still a challenge uh, for for us with Tracklight is that to a certain extent, you have to change your process. Like you have to change the way that you're interacting with potential clients in order to use and get the most out of it. And, um, you know, we have a lot of attorneys who are just like, oh, no, 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 I don't want to change anything. It's like, well, it's not magic. How, how is someone going to know to go and use the system if you don't send them a link like <laughs> right so i literally have had attorneys who've said to me but people aren't coming to my site and i'm just like i'm not uh, okay i'm not search engine optimization here like yeah. we, we provide a custom subdomain for you to give to your clients and have them you know take 10 minutes to fill this in and it can save you an hour like that's the whole idea Um, and it educates your client. So we're not search engine optimization, nor do we link with CRMs at this point. Like, so there's, we've now got our own process for kind of interviewing attorneys who want to buy the system. And it might sound a little bit ridiculous, but otherwise you end up with shelfware. You end up with people who are not happy because they spent a bunch of money and it's not giving them any positive ROI. So, Right. So y- you are now licensed as a lawyer, right? Yes. In Washington state. Jutton Law. <laughs> JuttonLaw.com. <laughs> awesome. Do you think, well, clearly like your, your past experience in the financial aspect of business has influenced how you view being a lawyer now, right? Oh, definitely. Because because the Nimbus Legal, I have a jet in law um, where I, I actually um, offer a free legal checkup for business or for personal. We create a little personal one for, for Tracklight. Uh, it's It just helps people. It's kind of my contribution to access to justice if you want to go through it, it'll tell you kind of where you might have some risks and want to contact a lawyer. And I'm actually going to work on building out that website so that it would link, for example, one of my favorite uh, law firms because of Patrick Palace and Jordan uh, Couch is Palace Law. So I would link that personal, like if somebody had a WCB claim or whatever to Palace Law. So I have track light on my law uh, on my law firm but i do work for nimbus legal here in arizona and um that's je- outside general counsel work and i find you know we've been working with a couple of clients where they're doing fundraising uh, in addition to resolutions and things like that and i've done the fundraising i've been on the other side i've been the consumer of the legal services so i find it's really helpful uh not only in terms of understanding that the founder has no time and will take all shortcuts and you know when somebody gives me something at the total last minute i'm not at all shocked or surprised uh, because <laughs> i've been that person okay so you come to the law with a background in business and also do you think that do you think being canadian has given you a different outlook at all in dealing with with stateside lawyers um 
I think just being Canadian makes me a little bit more well-rounded than people who have only, you know, lived in one country and or uh, I don't think it's as much as being Canadian. Just I think if you live in different countries and experience different cultures, then I think it just broadens your your viewpoint. Uh, yeah. I will say that I am I'm extremely polite and I don't like it when people aren't. <laughs> 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 Point taken. <laughs> well, I know that you're an adopted Canadian, so I, I'm just kidding. Um, that's right. I'm a transplant myself. But um, I do find Washington State very different. We moved there in 2015, and um, Philip, my husband, and I are always like, the people here are so nice. Like, in all honesty, I think nicer than the people in Vancouver in, in British Columbia. Like everybody's super helpful and super nice and polite and people talk, random strangers talk to you in Bellingham and, and these places. And it's, it's, uh, it's very interesting. I, I, I really well, like my Washington time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it's definitely true of, of smaller towns, right? That yeah. people tend to be more friendly and say hi and stuff like that which they weren't doing in Los Angeles when I was there. But um, <laughs> um, an, another interest that, um, that you explored was in 2015, right, with Evolve Law. How did that start? Uh, so I, I like to call Evolve Law the accidental business. Um, so Jules Miller and I met just shortly after reInvent Law. Did you ever go to any of those, reInvent Law? Yeah. Um, there was one in Stanford. Um, yes, yes. Wasn't it the uh, Computer Science Museum or something in, Sil in Sil Silicon Valley? I think yeah. so. I didn't go to that one. I went to the one in New York that was right after Legal Tech uh, in 2014. But, it was in you're, but you're talking about Daniel Katz, right? I think he was the one who did it. So yeah. it was Daniel, there was like three or four people, and they were all with one university, and they did one in Stanford, one in New York, and then one in London, and then somebody left one of the universities and it kind of all fell apart. Mm. Um, but I attended that and then Jules and I went for lunch and we were just like, I said, you know, I've been to like demo days and some of these other things out in Silicon Valley and in LA. So I just think there should be something where we can stop talking about all of these things to lawyers and actually show them. So show versus tell, you know, all of the things that happen in the startup world, not necessarily the legal tech startup world. And by the way, reInvent Law was the first time I was sitting there thinking, okay, so I think Tracklight could be considered legal tech. It's not only legal tech, but it's, right. and when people call me like a legal tech entrepreneur, I, I don't correct them. And that's because I'm Canadian. Uh, so <laughs> I let them, whatever, I, I don't care. Um, so we decided that we would do an experiment, very, you know, very startup-y. We're like, okay, we're going to do this event in June. It was like June 2000 and I think it was 15. Anyways, I don't remember. So it, it all, it's all a blur. So we did the first event. Mm -hmm. No, it was 14. We did the first event in 14. And then we did one at Stanford and people liked it. We actually had demo tables and we had lawyers come before and after. And um, so it wasn't really a thing. Like we didn't have a business. We, you know, I just, I paid for my travel out of Tracklight and, and Jules paid for her travel out of, then at that point she was with Hire and Esquire. And then in May of 2015, we did one in LA and we had Josh, Joshua Lennon come down from Clio and he spoke at it and he was like, this is so cool. Like I got a new client out of this. And um, he's like, where's the website? So that was the same time when we were shifting in Tracklight from at one point we had like 15 people working in Tracklight and we were considering going for series A funding and, you know, getting a big sales force. And then we ran the numbers and I was like, this is crazy. This isn't going to work. Um, the cost of customer acquisition for Tracklight was too high. 
So Mm -hmm. at the same time, we were like, not laying people off. But what I did is I just encouraged people to find other jobs and help them find other jobs with track. And so they left track. Like, we had one person who was staying for another month. So she along with Mike Willie, who still works with me um, Mm -hmm. at Tracklight and whatever other scheme I dream up. um, He Mike Willie's amazing. If anyone knows him from Evolve Law. They know how excellent he is. So Mike and this woman, Maddie, they worked on the beta site for Evolve Law, all the setup. And Jules and I said, okay, we are going to try to get like 10 members. Actually, Jules said 25 or no, Jules said 20. And I was like, uh, I'll be happy if there's 10. So we had 27 (laughs) members when we launched. And then at the height, we had 140 members. But wow. it, beca- it became, well, there were two things that happened. Jules left Hire and Esquire in 2016. And she she went out and had to like do other things. And it wasn't necessarily in legal tech. So she couldn't devote time to it. And we had set up all these um, events all around the country. And so I ended up having to do all of them. Yeah. And... <laughs> So it just took on a life of its own with all these members. And then that's when Thompson Reuters said to me, you know, I'd written with Billy Tarasio from Modern Law, who's here in Phoenix. I had, she and I had spoken at Clio and we'd written a white paper on KPIs. And then Thompson Reuters asked me to write a book on KPIs. I originally thought they meant an ebook. <laughs> it turned out. <laughs> book book so um so i wrote that book we did evolve law and it just became it was supposed to be a sales and marketing for both higher and esquire and for track light and then obviously for our members but after you know after we got to sort of member 40 and we were doing 40 events over kind of like the school year it i never was able to promote track light directly but the spinoff from it was you know this this big pilot project that i can't talk about is with someone that i met through evolve law and i i just met all kinds of people and amazing friends like you um and amazing like people that i would hang out with even if i wasn't working kind of thing plus great networking and then Really, you know, my passion is trying to fix this, what I consider a very broken uh, system in terms of not only the delivery of legal services, but law schools and and this, what I consider to be an insular, if I'm using that term correctly, like this, you know, oh, it wasn't, it wasn't invented in the US. So, you know, we're not going to do it that way. We're not going to look at what Canada does or Australia or the UK as far as um, law school or legal services. We, we just do it best here. And uh, now that I'm also an American, I can, I feel like now that I'm American and a lawyer, I can almost say whatever I want. (laughs) (laughs) But do do you think that's going to change? That, that kind of insular sense that you're you're describing? I, I think it is changing. I know like from Arizona State where it's Sandra Day O'Connor, College of Law. Um, and uh, as an aside, it's very sad news about her retiring from public life. And I'm very um, honored to have met her when, when I did attend the law school. She's like an absolutely amazing person. But the... Um, the College of Law, they actually sent a delegation to Australia to look at all the different things that they're doing. And, um, you know, they just approved my access to justice through technology class when, you know, initially it was like, oh, no, that's not substantive law. And it's like, no, there's a duty of technology. And that's where all my Twitter friends were super helpful, um, gave me all kinds of ammunition to uh, to get that class um get that class approved. And I do think that the US is going to move towards, you know, maybe even looking at what you take in 1L. You know, I think ADR, alternate dispute resolution, should be a mandatory course. It should be part of 1L. It shouldn't be some option. Everyone should understand because it's crazy. Like what, a 10% 
of um, disputes actually go to trial. So why do we yeah. spend an entire year talking about trials? Uh, it's ridiculous. So well, yeah, let, started. <laughs> <laughs> let alone having a, a course on KPIs, you know, for lawyers to actually get a sense of if they're successful or not yes. by the numbers. Which I am teaching for um, one of the most, in my opinion, the most advanced school is Suffolk Law. And we actually had the first Evolve Law event there when we became like an official organization in 2015. It was the end of September. We had the very first event there, Gabe Tenenbaum and the then new Dean Perlman, um, very supportive of technology and innovation in both the law and education. So they have an online online legal technology certificate that's not just for um, lawyers. It's for other legal technicians, because I won't use the annoying other word for it, for for people who are not necessarily lawyers. (laughs) Right. Right. Um, yeah. So, so I do think that with classes like Suffolk, I'm, I'm teaching the business of delivering legal services, which involves KPIs and process review, which is what my second book is about, which is, um, you know, basically how to take post-its and a board and how to break down your firm and how to, you know, make change and iterate and experiment. And it's not, called design thinking. <laughs> it's just basically, it's what I used to do at Pricewaterhouse in the 1990s. And um, whether you want to call it design thinking now, it doesn't matter. It's it's uh, it's management consulting is what it is. So it's a book. It's only $9.99 on Amazon this time. The Thomson Reuters book was a little <laughs> pricier, but I self-published this time. And um, it's a quick read, but uh, lawyers have read it and they like it. So I'm pretty excited about it. And that's the business of legal, the data-driven law practice? Yes, that is it. And it's it's just, it's Kindle. You can get on your Kindle for $9.99 or you can, it's it's kind of cool. Amazon, they're, they're so cool. It's a print on demand on, I think that's $24.99 if you wanted a hard copy of it. Um, cool. So, yeah. Well, I know you put a lot of energy in, into the things that you do. I, I, I mean, I, I got to know you when you were putting Evolve the Law, excuse me, Evolve Law together, and you were flying everywhere almost every week, it seemed. And I, I'm curious just to know, how do you do that? Like, <laughs> how do you, because, because it's not just the travel, but it's also like, I understand the juggling of this new, you know, this venture, Evolve Law, along with, your existing business of Tracklight, as well as having a family. I mean, how do you how do you manage to keep keep that balance, or is there one? So the the Evolve Law, uh, the school year part of it, which was when we put on the events, that was like slightly out of control. Like from the September sixteen to um, June of seventeen. It was just like, that's when in the April, I sat down with Shalay Miller and said, hey, <laughs> you know, uh, you, Jules had basically was more of a silent partner. And I was like, hey, do you guys like what we've done? And, and, and Shalay was awesome and still is awesome. And she basically said, hey, like, what's your end game here? And my thing was, I loved doing it. I love the connecting, you know, still gratifying. I got a note from Bennett, Colleen from um, Cognate and they got bought by GoDaddy. And so I wrote him back like, Hey, congratulations. And he wrote back, he said, you know what? I couldn't have done it without Evolve Law. And to me, that was like, yes. You know, it wasn't about the money and the memberships and all this type of stuff. Cause certainly it was, you know, we sold, a, like I sold Evolve Law to become Evolve the Law to Above the Law, but it it was not a an exit, like with air quotes around it. It was right. not, um, you know, it's, they didn't 
pay, they didn't buy the company. Like we basically just sort of transferred it over. And uh, so it wasn't about the money. I just loved the idea of connecting people. I've always done that. I've always been the kind of pay it forward person, but it did get, it just got to be too much travel. So um, that's why like in 17 slash 18, like in the fall of 17, I did a few events and then I didn't go to legal tech. It was the first time I hadn't gone to legal tech in five years. So um, then I basically wasn't as much my family as just my own personal sanity. And I was also afraid I was going to get, you know, maybe into one of those air incidents that we read about (laughs) because I was so sick of flying. And even though I flew a lot, we were always just trying to get the cheapest airfare. So I was on like six different airlines. So, you know, other than the A-list on Southwest, which woohoo, I get to board first. Um, There was really no, no, no perks. It was hard travel and um, it was just like a lot of cities and everything. So I sat down with my family and said, you know, what, what, what do you guys think? <laughs> They're like, okay, that's a little crazy. You need to stop. Um, so I, it did get out of balance. And, but I think the important thing is to recognize when something is out of balance, because it's very important to me that if I say I'm going to do something, that I do it. That's the one that's always been my way. That's how I'm known is that if you give it to me, it will get done. Uh, but what I did have to learn kind of in 2017, and I've continued to work on it, is to say no to things. Like if somebody mm-hmm. says, will you do this? If I say yes, then I will, I'm in 100%. If I say no, then I'm out. And yeah. I've been doing a lot more of that. So that's how I kind of got the balance back. And now I'm able to focus on track light and these, these pilots. Track light itself didn't suffer at all from evolve law because we we still did work and we still did things it just wasn't something that i had to spend a lot of time on and frankly evolve law was a really great distraction and my kids um are no longer kids like my daughter will be 25 next year my son's 22 he basically runs the house here (laughs) not in phoenix and my husband works overseas so uh now for the past, since Evolve Law, it was funny, since May of 15, he's been with a Canadian company, Gold Corp, and his project has been in Mexico. So for a while, I was in Vancouver with him. And then we had a place in Mexico City, but he would disappear to the mine for the week. So I had a lot of time. Mm-hmm. Um, so it just kind of kind of worked out that way. I, I think it's different when you're, I could never done this like with small kids no way. Uh, And, you know, I remember when my kids, I was in law school when my kids were in that, when I had to drive them everywhere. So that was actually, wow. well, it was actually good because I didn't have to try to juggle a job. It's harder to work. And in my opinion, work and deal with kids with law school, at least I had, you know, I wasn't at work nine to five kind of thing. So so yeah, so I also have become this like I am very regi- regimented with, you know, this is how much I'm going to work and I don't consider writing actually work. It's like a hobby for me. So writing the book and everything, those books, I I you know, to me that's fun. That's not really work. So Well, editing part is work (laughs) (laughs) well now with with the time like i know evolve law took a lot of time and energy and certainly Tracklight has but now that you have a little more time with with things what what are your plans for the future i know that there's this project that you can't talk about but what what do you I guess, what do you see for yourself and and just legal tech more broadly? 
So what what I and and I'm actually like right today writing um, for Above the Law about I, I really want to focus on kind of more action, less talk. Um, and uh, so I'm focused on actually you know, making change by doing things to lead to access to justice, not just going to conferences and talking about them. I know the latter is important, um, but I, I just think people need to hear from other people other than me. So my focus is I, I am doing legal work for Nimbus Legal. I have a couple of clients. I have some projects. I'm enjoying that. Um, with Tracklight, you know, my end goal with Tracklight is that it finds a home somewhere, um, and and I like to I like to spend time. I'm on a couple of advisory boards, and I'm uh, I want to do another business of legal book, but this time around technology law and kind of getting back to the things that people need to know, certain law they need to know, not like hey I'm going to go to court and defend myself but things that they can do that are more preventative. Um, so I want to do, do a book around that and, um, and just kind of try to not work seven days a week. My current, current goal is to work five days a week, and we'll see how that goes. Although my son did remind me as I was hunched over my computer yesterday, he's like, what's going on? It's Sunday. I was like, this is actually school. I'm like doing something for my mediation class. It's school. It doesn't count (laughs) (laughs) to, you know, make a difference. Like the Nimbus legal model, like when, when I refer to access to justice, I'm I'm not talking only about, um, you know, low income and moderate means, certainly inclusive, inclusive of that group, but it's everybody. I mean, you know, there's people who can't, who have companies who can't afford lawyers um, at the beginning stage, and they could make some huge mistakes. So the Nimbus legal model is a flat fee, and and you know most of our clients are a little bit larger, but we do work with stage companies, and so I feel like all of it can make a difference. Um, I really don't think there is the one shot Uber change, Uberizing the law. I think. You know, it's not disruption. It's none of that. It's the uh, slow and steady wins the race. It, it's going to just take a lot of people actually doing things to change not only the client experience, but we need to change law school because we're graduating people who are not open to change and don't even understand that they're that they can't just come out of law school and hang out a shingle like we're not teaching them properly. My humble opinion. (laughs) Well, I I totally agree with you. And I also agree that in the sound chamber, I guess, of legal tech, that there's a lot more that needs to be done in terms of action. I'm completely on board with you uh, there, that there's a lot of talk and it's been important and it's been Mm -hmm. a good discussion to get people thinking about what's possible, but a lot more action is, is required. Yeah. And, and it doesn't have to be big action. It's just, you know, like at the Clio conference, there was the session that Nicole and Patrick led, and there were some, you know, specific actions that came out of that and their projects. And so everybody needs to do, you know, something. If everyone's trying to work on these projects and try, you know, re-regulation is a huge project, but if you just started doing a few things differently, then you know we we can make a difference and ultimately that's i think what you're trying to do and that's what i'm trying to do is is make a difference and you know one thing from talking with you that it's kind of made me realize that um there there is a bit of a mindset difference with lawyers and what you've been talking about and and i think legal tech generally and the way i look at things which is it's okay to make mistakes. You know, it's okay to iterate, you know, iterate Mm -hmm. is a very startup kind of thing where, you know, it's okay to, um, to pivot, 
to change what you're doing and do something different. Whereas lawyers tend to have this attitude that that change is not good or that iterating and making mistakes is a bad thing. But it sounds to me like from everything that you've talked about with your experience, it's come natural to you to, to, to change, you know, to look how things can be done better. And that that is something that needs to be brought into the legal profession so that lawyers can use that approach as well. Yeah, definitely. I, I think you are correct. I hadn't really thought of it myself that way. I just, I'm very much a silver lining person. So I always try to figure out, okay, so this terrible, seemingly terrible thing or seemingly large obstacle has been thrown up in front of me. Okay, so let's deal with it. Okay. And then what can we take away from this? What's the lessons learned? What's the, what's the silver lining? And it's just, it's a mindset. Um, and sometimes I forget to do it and I find that it makes me, uh, happier. And I have had people say, oh, you're such a Pollyanna. Like you're just looking at this and it's like, okay, well you get one life. <laughs> I don't want to go through it angry and, and upset. I would rather just try to find the best part of each thing and just keep going. Cause that's all you can do. And I think if I had to give one piece of advice for anybody in legal tech and any lawyer, it's like, you just got to keep going. And there's no time for like laying down and wallowing. You pull up your big girl pants and move on. <laughs> well, Mary, I have one uh, more question for you before um, I let you go. What's a place on your bucket list you've never visited that you would like to and why? So I would like to, I've never visited uh, any of South America and I've never visited Africa. So I kind of don't want to go to Africa because my husband worked there and he used to send me lots of pictures of snakes and I'm definitely afraid of snakes. Even though I did go to Australia and I don't think I saw any snakes in Australia. So even though it's kind of on my bucket list, I'm more interested to go to South America and particularly to go down to Patagonia and um, maybe like get to Antarctica. So that's, that's on my bucket list. My husband is going to be working at a Chile. So I am excited because I'm going to South America at the beginning of December. So I'm going to Santiago, um, but I'm not going to Patagonia yet, which is, that is definitely on my bucket list. Mm. And, uh, I'm, I'm excited to do that. If he is going to be doing this posting in Santiago, then I think I'm going to get my, my way with the Patagonia slash Antarctica. But I think that's in, involves like a cruise or something to get down there. I'm not quite sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, that sounds like a great adventure. Well, thank you, Mary. I, I loved getting to know you better and learning more about the work that you're, that you've done and that you're doing. Um, well, how can people keep in touch with you? Okay. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, I was going to say, well, thank you for having me on. And um, the easiest way to get in touch with me is on Twitter. It's just at Mary Jetton. Um, or you can check out, there's, uh, if you go to the Tracklight website, there's a contact form there. And Tracklight has no C in it. So T-R-A-K-L-I-G-H-T. And thank you so much, Tom. This was lots of fun. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you, Mary, for being my guest today. And uh, thank you all for listening into A Force of Nature for Using Tech to Evolve the Law with, with Mary Jutton. Um, again, uh, this is Tom Martin. Our sponsor today is LawDroid. LawDroid is a legal AI company dedicated to creating useful chatbots for lawyers and legal companies. And you can check us out at LawDroid.com. Thank you all and uh, see you next month. Bye.